comes jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, furry as a mouse, it's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 177, Summer Afternoons, Monday, August 28th, 2017. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yinhu podcast has a Facebook page and it's available on iTunes. Each week I post show notes, photographs, and links to the things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. Today's episode features the following segments prize winners, and a new giveaway announcement, the back porch, the front porch, ever-expanding skill set, and so forth. Thank you to everyone who took the time to enter the brushwork giveaway that I announced on episode 176. I did run the contest in the Yarns at Yinhu group on Ravelry rather than as an Instagram giveaway, because I wanted to favor those folks who listen to the podcast and participate on the boards. And this topic was so interesting because so many people took the time to post links to images and talk about favorite artists and periods. It, it's a really informative and fun thread. And I'm so pleased to be giving away four skeins of brushwork. It's the birthday yarn, the limited edition yarn from Blacker, which is a sport weight woolen spun dyed in the wool, gorgeous plush and velvety yarn. You will want some of this yarn. It's absolutely lovely and the more I look at it and take a look at my swatches and think about what I'd like to knit with it, the more ideas I come up with for knitting. My source for purchasing some of this on September 28th when it becomes available will be the Wooly Thistle, but one lucky listener will receive four balls of this yarn, 660 yards, in the Velatura colorway, that's this gorgeous, gorgeous blue. And the random number generator selected post number 23. The winner is Heather01851, who I lovingly refer to sometimes as Heather zip code because I can't seem to keep that Lowell, Massachusetts zip code in my mind. You are the winner. Thank you for your post about the Dutch golden age and your fondness for those paintings. Send me a PM with your postal address and I will get that in the mail and you will be enjoying 
brushwork yarn before it's available to the general public. I have another giveaway um, and I will draw the winner in episode 178. This giveaway is for the Clark Socks pattern. It's the first pattern released by Jacqueline Salem. You know her from the Brooklyn Knit Folk podcast, a video podcast. And Jacqueline has been a very enthusiastic and supportive member of the Yarns at Yin Hu listeners. So I wanted to give her Clark Socks some extra promotion by giving away a copy. She's giving away a copy and I will also be purchasing a copy and giving it to a winner. So two lucky winners for this Clark Socks pattern. And I have already opened a thread. Clark Socks are inspired by 1940s architecture that Jacqueline has fallen in love with in Brooklyn, New York. So the prompt for this giveaway is to talk about some architecture or some feature in the area that you live that really gets your attention every time you're walking or driving by. You can certainly participate in any thread on the Yarns at Inhu group on Ravelry, but winners must be members of the group. The Back Porch. This week I completed Ujo, a tunic length dress designed by Ankastrick. It appears in the second issue of Len magazine and it's knit in fingering weight yarn. I made a few modifications to this pattern as I knit. First of all, I selected three single skeins of sock yarn, superwash merino nylon yarn to use for this project. The first is a speckle dyed yarn, the second is more of a variegated yarn, and the third is a tonal yarn. So the color intensifies toward the bottom of the dress into a very deep Merlot or Cabernet color. And I needed to think about a little bit of striping so that the colors would shift gradually one into another. I also dropped needle size for this knitting. The entire garment sits on the shoulders with no seaming. It's knit from the top down, and so that's an awful lot of weight for a tunic or a dress-length garment. And so I started with a U.S. 2.5 size needle, and I continued on that needle for the entire garment. If I had to do it over again, I would shift to U.S. 3s somewhere around the waistline, because I think that would give me a little more length. The pattern has faux seams, one purl stitch on each round going down the sides of the garment. Even though it's a faux seam, it does lend a garment like this a little bit of structure and it's a technique I would use on any type of sweater, dress, or tunic if, it, if it's mostly in plain stockinette and it wouldn't interfere with any patterning. I really like that technique. 
I added a bit of short row shaping first to the back neck so that the back of the neck rises up higher than the front neckline. And I also added short row shaping at near the hem of the dress before beginning the ribbed border. I did not split the ribbing on the bottom of the dress. It's supposed to be like a split hem. But I wanted to be able to wear this as a dress if possible. And so I did not split for the hem. I just kept knitting in the round. And after doing some short row shaping on the back, center back of the dress, I did another set of short rows on the ribbed border. I've never done that before. I've never done short row shaping in the border. So that the back hem is just a little bit longer than the front hem because I wanted a little coverage, more coverage back there. Overall, I'm pleased with this project. It was a great deal of knitting in a very short amount of time. So to finish a, a dress, a sweater dress in a month is a pretty big achievement. I'm also pretty pleased with the pockets. This dress has pockets and I always struggle with seaming pockets. I knit the pocket interiors on a much smaller needle so I increased a few stitches on each pocket. I also slipped the first stitch of each row to give myself um, a more visible stitch with which to um, seam the pockets to the garment. I'm not 100% pleased with that, but from the front of the dress, it looks good. And it's something that I will, a skill that I will continue to work on with my knitting. It took me three weeks to knit the dress and another week to do the pockets. And I will need to wear this dress with very thick tights or leggings of some kind because it is quite short. Um, I used up nearly all of the three skeins of yarn that I had, and they were quite substantial. I think it's over 1,300 yards. And this knit was an entry into the Brooklyn Knit Folk Hipster Cal, uh, because there were not very many versions of this Ujo dress at the time I selected the pattern. I would certainly knit this again, I think that this pattern is also excellent numbers, shaping, and attention to detail just to knit a regular top as well. And I really love, things I love about it include the really gentle ribbing at the neckline, sleeves, and hem. I like the pocket design, and I like the faux side seams. So I think it's a very reliable and versatile pattern for either a dress or a tunic. A lot of folks sort of exclaim about knitting a dress, but really there's a lot of yarn and a lot of knitting required to knit sleeves. And so I think if you just remove sleeves and knit very short or cap sleeves on a sweater 
and then extend the bottom into a tunic or a dress, it really isn't that much more knitting than a sweater. And I've heard a lot of complaints about what drudgery it is to knit sleeves and all the things that can go wrong with sleeves. And so maybe just doing more knitting at the hemline and less in terms of sleeves could be a refreshing relief. The front porch. This weekend, I cast on my Shackleton project. That may seem as though it's the beginning of a journey, but really this is the last stage in a year-long journey. Last year at Rhinebeck, I shared a Shetland fleece from a sheep named Eloise with three of my podcasting friends. I took home my quarter of the fleece and I separated it very carefully into five different types of fibers because there was really a lot of variety on that fleece. And I continued this fleece-wise project by washing the fibers and spinning them using a jalligan, which is a Scottish spindle. And I thought that was very fitting for Shetland fleece. I plied the singles into a two-ply sport weight yarn on my Louette wheel. And then I reserved some of the yarn to be undyed and I dyed three of the skeins, one in Alkanet, one in Indigo, and one in Matter. Along the way, I had my eyes open continually for yarn that would be the main color of another Bresse dress. I have knit the Bresse dress pattern designed by Goodrin Johnson, which appears in Fair Isle style. It's a collection of contemporary Fair Isle designs compiled by Mary Jane Mucklestone. And I wanted to knit another version of this dress with color work from my hand-spun, hand-dyed yarn, And then I was really committed to having Shetland yarn for the main color of this dress. During my knit local getaway in Washington County, New York, I found the perfect, perfect yarn for this project at Battenkill Fiber Mill. Mary Jean Packer had set aside some of this really gorgeous Shetland sport weight two-ply yarn for our group and I indulged while I was there and bought a substantial quantity of this yarn hoping that it would match up perfectly with my hand spun. Of course I didn't have any with me at the time and I was delighted when I returned home and took out all the yarn that I planned to use for this project that there was a pretty good consistency in weight and enough contrast in color that I could use this lovely Eloise yarn as a color work yoke. So the final modification or extension of this Shackleton plan has been to replace the color work yoke pattern on the Bresse dress with another 
motif from Fair Isle style. Earlier uh, in the year, I knit the mushroom Kelly muffs that are also in this book, and I really fell in love with this adorable mushroom motif. And so I wanted to transfer that motif onto the yoke of this dress. It meant playing around a little bit with stitch count and thinking about where to place increases, but I was able to begin this project and start the color work on the yoke this weekend, and I'm pleased with the results so far. Um, The color work is much more muted than traditional Fair Isle color work, which tends to have very strong contrast between the colors. The main color of the Shetland yarn I'm using from Battenkill is like um, it's like a fawn color. It's like a muted, mousy, heathered brown. And botanically dyed yarns are difficult to get a really deep, vibrant color. It always tends to be, you know, more natural and muted. So that's the result I'm getting. It's a little bit different from most Fair Isle, but I think it really represents the learning and the work I've done over the course of this year and my commitment to a really long-term project. As a product-oriented knitter and crafter, this has been a very big challenge for me. I like to start something and know when I'm going to finish it. And in this case, there were a lot of steps and things have taken a great deal of time. So I feel excited to be casting on this project. I feel confident in achieving a garment that will fit me and that I like because I've made it before and in a sport weight yarn. I made a lot of notes when I knit my original version of this dress and so I'm referring to them as I work on this version. And my plan is to be wearing it when I visit Rhinebeck again this October. Central to all of this has been Sarah of Fiber Trek Podcast's encouragement and her entrepreneurial, adventurous spirit in hosting a knit-along that would take so long and really encourage people to take on challenges that they might not have envisioned for themselves. So thank you, Sarah, and to everyone else who's been participating in the Shackleton Cal for your encouragement and support and inspiration. Ever-expanding skill set. I can't believe that we're at the end of August. I've been relishing some really A-plus weather that we've been having in the water gap over the past couple of weeks. There have been just some beautiful, beautiful summer afternoons, and I'm trying to savor every moment of them before it's time to start the new school year after Labor Day. I've also been enjoying the magical, magic ingredient posts on the Ravelry thread 
and the insight that I'm getting in some really practical and awesome tips. I was thinking about any other ingredients that are really useful to me in my pantry. And I didn't talk about a jar of jam being a magic ingredient. I have the great fortune of being a recipient of a lot of um, handmade jams and jellies. And I have quite a selection of them in my pantry. Sometimes I like to savor them as a spread on toast, but really I'm not a breakfast person and I don't eat that much toast and I try not to eat too many pastry type products. So the question arises, well, how do I make use of all of this jam? And a jar of jam can really come in handy. It can be added to a sauce or a marinade for extra dimension of flavor. It can also be used as a thickener. This week I was given a package of frozen sour cherries and I've been making desserts with just a crumble topping and not putting them into a pie because as I said, I'm really trying to cut down on the carbs, but just, you know, some cooked fruit with a streusel or a crumble on the top can be really, really tasty. And often what happens with fruit like cherries is that there's so much liquid that it overcomes the topping and the whole thing is runny This can happen in pie fillings too. So I was looking for some way to thicken up these cherries. And what I did was I drained them. They were still mostly frozen, but some of the liquid had thawed. So I put them in a colander. I drained them. And then I poured that juice into a small saucepan. I created a slurry with a little bit of cornstarch for extra thickening. And then I added a very small container of strawberry jam. And I created my own thickening agent for these cherries. So I stirred that in and the cherries set up really nice and firm with no runniness in the dish. So that proved pretty clever and I think I will use that method again in the future. Also, a jar of jam is great to add to some ketchup for an interesting barbecue sauce. So once I have the ketchup and a jar of some kind of jam, peach is great or some kind of marmalade, and then just add some spices and additional salt and it makes a really great substitute for a barbecue sauce. Store-bought barbecue sauce can often have a lot of corn syrup in it, and I try to avoid that. So it's a handy substitution. In thinking about ever-expanding skill set for September, I need to focus on what to take for lunch. I'm really, really poor at planning out lunches most of the time. I put some things in an insulated lunch bag. When it comes time to lunch, I don't feel like eating those things. There's not a lot of time to head out for lunch at my workplace. 
and I try to be available for students during lunchtime and anything that's around the school, like a school lunch, is not very healthy and loaded with sodium. So I need to focus some time and attention to some tasty, filling, and relatively healthy things for lunch. I like to make things ahead or make things enough for dinner that I can take leftovers. Those are the kinds of things that I really enjoy eating at lunchtime and I look forward to instead of like peeking in my lunch bag and then seeing what else is available around the building. So I would love your input, suggestions. Maybe you struggle with the same kind of thing that it's drudgery to put lunches together for school or the workplace or, you know, even if you just find yourself in a different setting at lunchtime and you want to bring something along rather than dine out. I was thinking about how to envision lunchtime as a picnic because I enjoy packing picnic lunches And maybe if I thought about lunchtime more as a picnic or an outing, maybe if I took the time to eat my lunch outside when possible, that could be some extra motivation. So for hashtag Power Pantry during the month of September, we will focus on the bag lunch or sack lunch. And as always, I look forward to interacting with you on this topic. And so forth. Based on the likes of my Instagram posts featuring embroidery, it seems like a lot of folks are really excited about the possibilities of embroidery. And there are so many different types of embroidery. I completed some embroidery on a printed, it's just a very simple quilting cotton fabric, but it was printed with a botanical motif. I selected four colors of embroidery thread and over the course of, I guess, a few weeks, I just worked on embroidering a little bit each day, um, doing some new stitches. I really liked the Cretan stitch. It seemed to work perfectly for some of the motif on this fabric. And then when I was done, I sewed the willow top. Before I began the embroidery, I cut the top out. I have the printed cotton for the front and then I used a scrap of double gauze for the back. And I put in the bust starts. And I probably should have done stay stitching along the neckline and arm holes because I really stretched out the fabric a little bit as I was putting it into the embroidery hoop again and again. The top turned out okay, but I think in the future I would put stay stitching in. I've done this to a willow top before. I used double gauze fabric and I definitely put stay stitching into that fabric because it was very easy to stretch out of shape and start fraying. I also use a very thin piece of interfacing uh, for the back of the fabric and so I don't stretch out or pucker the fabric as I'm doing the embroidery. 
it's really relaxing. Um, it's interesting to work on and it's not a huge time commitment. I confine my embroidery to just like around the neckline and uh, it makes a, a beautiful, very special piece. So it's something I will consider working on again, especially if I find just the right piece of fabric. But it also made me curious if yarns and who listeners might like to participate in an embroider along. My next idea for embroidery is embroidering on knitting. I haven't really done that. And I was, I've been thinking, because I've been thinking so much about this brushwork yarn, that I would like to knit a beautiful cabled hat and a relatively plain set of mitts or mittens and then use some embroidery techniques to embroider on the surface of the mitts. So I'm wondering, would anyone like to join me? I think that would be really a lot of fun. There are also a lot of new products coming out associated with embroidery. There are all these wonderful sashiko printed fabrics. And you just, I mean, generally they're very dark blue and you just use white thread, although there are a lot of varieties. And it seems like at Stitches Midwest, a vendor called Brooklyn Haberdashery was all the rage I just checked the list of vendors for Rhinebeck and Brooklyn Haberdashery will be there. And she carries some amazing embroidery products and has lots of ideas in her booth from what I can tell. So if you're interested, maybe you could um, post to the conversation for this episode. And if you have any insight and you know, a beginning and end point for an embroider along, let me know. And uh, maybe that's something that we can do together and share ideas. Before I close this episode, I just want to mention some additional content. This summer, I was enrolled in an online course called Mindful Educator Essentials. We had to do a number of assignments, and since I wasn't in a school building and I didn't have a lot of input at the ready, I asked if there were any podcast listeners who might be interested in listening to my recorded content and providing me with insights and feedback and asking questions. It would be great practice for me in terms of thinking about and talking about the concept of mindfulness. So over the course of the summer, I've recorded nearly an hour and a half of additional content. It's available on my website in two different places because the file, one single sound file got a little bit too large. uh, So I needed to break it and include it in two places. So if you go to the Yarns at Yinhu website, you will see that there are a number of pages and they're in tabs listed across the top. One of them is mindfulness. There's about an hour of content there, including some practice segments. And then there's another um, page with a tab called meditative spindling. And there's an audio file located there in which I talk primarily about 
the practice of using meditative spindling and how to use the spindle as an anchor. So there have been 10 very generous folks who have been listening to this content and giving me feedback all summer long, but I wanted to just make a remark about it and let the general listenership know that this content is available if you have any interest in mindfulness as a topic, and certainly if you have any questions, especially if you'd like to share any ideas about meditative spindling, I'm always available. Hey, comes jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass for as a mouse is a sweet nature, a sweet nature thing. It's a mighty fine, mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. Leaves lay down like a lady, waiting for a naked man. River bends like an elbow, turning stone to sand. It's a Thanks for listening. Music for this episode is so sweet. Music and lyrics by Samuel St. Thomas, performed by Bovine Social Club. Eat well and stay strong as you hone your post-apocalyptic skill set this week. It's a mighty fine, 
Yeah. 